I want to tell you about Figaro. Figaro is a living legend, a cat. There is a point to this story. Uh, Figaro was owned by Jeff and Deneen Swanson. Jeff and Deneen are lifelong friends of ours. Danita, my wife, and Deneen, his wife, have been lifelong friends since the eighth grade. So Danita was in the delivery room for her with her kids. Deneen was in the delivery room with us, with our kids. So that's kind of the kind of friendship that we have. So um, Deneen and Jeff at the time were living in Decatur, Alabama. He's running a crane company there. And uh, they were in Decatur, Alabama. And Deneen bought uh, a, uh, it was kind of like a collar for her, the cat. Figaro's a cat. So they bought a collar from the Dishman Animal Clinic. And if stolen or lost or whatever, you would call this number. Well, um, Deneen, Indicator, Alabama, gets this phone call from the Dishman Animal Clinic that says, your cat has been found at the elementary school. And she goes, the elementary school? That's three miles away. How's the cat go three miles? So she picks up the cat. A week later, the Dishman Animal Clinic calls again and says, your cat's been found at Winn-Dixie. When Dixie's five miles away. Three days later, the Dishman Animal Clinic tries to get hold of Deneen. She's in Knoxville visiting her aging father, and uh, she doesn't answer, so they call Jeff, the husband. And so Jeff answers the phone, and the Dishman Animal Clinic says, Your cat has been located in Lumberton, Mississippi. <laughs> he said, Where is that? She said, Well, believe it or not, it's 400 miles from where you live. Do you want to go get the cat? <laughs> now, Jeff hates this cat, okay? And so he's thinking, well, maybe I can let this cat die or get killed or, and nobody will know about it. So he said, I don't know. Let me think about it. So he thinks about it for a little while, and he begins to try to put this together. So he calls his next-door neighbor, Jim and Ann. And he says to Ann, Ann, does Jim ever go to the elementary school she said, yeah, he does. He goes there, and uh, our son, he has you know, lunch maybe once a month with our son. He says, where does Jim grocery shop? Winn-Dixie. He says, where is Jim right now? He's in Lumberton, Mississippi, wherever that is. And so Jeff then calls back and gets a hold of the convenience store owner and gets a hold of Jim and says, all right, you know, bring the cat back. It's 400 miles away from home. There's no way in Hades I'm going to go get the cat. But he said, bring the cat back. And so what they figured out was is that this cat, Figaro, Figaro's a legend. Figaro would get underneath the Volkswagen Jetta, and there's a, there's a tire underneath the Jetta, and he would get in that spare tire on the top side and just ride in that spare tire. And whenever it went to the elementary store or stopped off at, at Winn-Dixie or stopped off at Lumberton, Mississippi, 400 miles away from home, the cat would get out and, and, and you know, do, do its thing. All right, here's my question. Here's my question. How many of you in this room would not drive... 800 miles round trip to rescue Figaro. How many of you in the room would not do it? <laughs> Raise your hands high. Raise them high. All right. Show your sins. Okay, we haven't committed. We haven't had communion yet. All right. So just keep in mind, got to be honest. All right. How many of you in the room would honestly do that? You would drive 800 miles a round trip. Are you serious? <laughs> Hold your hands up high. Hold them up high. We have some sickos at Harborside Christian Church. This is crazy, crazy. Well, there is a point to this story. 
all right? Because when I began to study our passage of Scripture this morning, I realized, I've never figured this out before, I realized that these Sadducees and these scribes and these Pharisees, they traveled 70 miles to ask Jesus one question. And when I began to piece that together this week, I thought, that is crazy. And I thought of Figaro, the living legend cat. And I thought, there's no way I'd go 800 miles. These scribes walked, I guess, five days, five and a half days, rocky, dusty, dry. There were no Ritz-Carltons. They had a rough five or six days. They traveled 70 miles. Here's, what, here's the story. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1 says this. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now, where Jesus and them are at this story and Jerusalem, it's about 70 long miles. Here's what they ask. Here's the question. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Now, would you travel 70 miles to ask that question? They don't know what to do with Jesus because Jesus is constantly breaking the oral law. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. You know how important this is? Just think about this. Remember the very first miracle? This crew will remember the first miracle. He turned water into... I knew you'd know that story, all right? So he turns water into wine, very first miracle. All right, do you remember in that story, it says there were six stone water pots, each filled with 20 to 30 gallons, the kind the Jews used for ceremonially, ceremonial cleansings. That's exactly what would happen. The oral law taught that you had to wash your hands before you ate. It wasn't the law of Moses. Now, give me about three minutes We're going to do some theology, and hang with me for three minutes. You see, Jesus never broke the written law, but he broke often the oral law. The written law is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was the law of Moses. But the scribes and teachers of the law came along, and they said, that's not good enough. Those commandments are not enough. And so they add thousands and thousands and thousands of what's called the oral law. Now, why is it called the oral law? It's called the oral law because they pass it down orally from generation to generation. Now, eventually, the Jewish people wrote it down. It's called the Mishnah. But for years and years and years, it was just the oral law. Jesus never broke the written law. But he always looked for ways, it seems like, to break the oral law. And so why do they do that? Here's the answer, verse 3, verse 3. Jesus doesn't answer them. You ever notice how Jesus doesn't answer very many questions in Scripture? If you look at this carefully, there's hundreds of questions that are asked of Jesus, and rarely does Jesus ever answer their question. Here's what he says. And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Now, the command of God would be what Moses wrote, and your tradition would be the oral law. Look at the next verse, verse 4. Jesus said, for God said... This is now the law of Moses. This is now the written law. Honor your father and mother. Anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. Look at the next verse, verse 5. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, I'm going to explain that. That's a word called Corban. 
They are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. In other words, you got $100,000 in a bank. You got hundred grand in a 401k or an IRA. And your parents are starving to death. Your parents' clothes are wearing out. Your parents' house is in shambles. If in the oral law, if you said, my hundred grand is Corbin, it's devoted to God, then I'm sorry, mom and dad, you're just tough out of luck. And that was the loophole that the oral law allowed them to do. Now, they could still spend the hundred grand. They could still use the hundred grand, the person who owned it, but they just didn't have to help their aging parents. And Jesus is going, that dog won't hunt. No way. No way is that going to work. But if you say what might have been done, that's not going to work. So here's what Corbin means. Corbin is you're exempting yourself from any inconvenient obligation. And in this case, especially helping your aging parents. Jesus is beside himself. You've traveled 70 miles to ask me a question about washing my hands, and you guys are the very ones who have aging parents who are starving to death, and you won't even help them? Jesus is like, give me a break. And I love this. I love how Jesus responds to this. Now, here's what Corbin is explained in the Gospel of Mark, and it makes a little bit more sense. Give me one more minute, and I'll explain this. All right, here's what it says in Mark. You have to let go of the commands of God, this is Jesus, and you're holding on to the human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, see, here's the loophole. You say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother, it's Corban, that is, devoted to God then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and you do many things like this. Now, Jesus then calls them hypocrites in the very next verse. Look at, look at this in Matthew chapter uh, 15. He says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, this is the whole point of this morning. It's about heart. Jesus is going to talk about your heart. And if you'll notice, there are many, many churches and there are many, many spiritual leaders who always kind of approach your behavior from the outside in rather than the inside out. Let me say this again. You've all been to a church where somebody's beat you up. They've made you feel guilty. They just try to kind of put you down the whole time. They're trying to change your behavior from the outside. How, how does that work? doesn't work very well. I can guilt you today. I can try to manipulate you today. I can make you feel, you know, guilty about your lifestyle. And that'll work for about 10 minutes until you get from here to US 19. Okay? That's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't try to change your actions from the outside. He wants to change your heart. When he changes your heart on the inside, then you begin to act differently. And as a church, as elders and as staff, that's what we're all about. Yeah, we care about your behavior, absolutely. But we're not trying to change your behavior from the outside. We want to change your behavior on the inside. It's the inside that will make a difference. And so that's what Jesus is trying to say about tradition. Now, let's talk about tradition for just a minute. Well, is Jesus against tradition? Well, no, he's not against tradition. But he's against tradition when tradition begins to supersede relationships. 
He's always against tradition when tradition begins to supersede the connections that you and I are to have for our Heavenly Father. There's nothing wrong with tradition unless tradition gets in the way of God's plan for your life. Now, we all have traditions. Now, we all love our traditions. In fact, Thanksgiving's coming up, and you probably have some Thanksgiving traditions, and we do, and you do, and most families do. Um, one of the traditions in our house is the girls love to cook. And so you've got Erica and you've got Emily and Danita, my wife, and they're all in there and they're looking up recipes on the computer. And um, they got Ethan in there and Ethan's chopping and making things. And they're telling them every move to make on how to fix things. But anyway, they're having a ball in there. And I am on the kitchen. I'm in the island and I am telling stories about Thanksgiving. I am reading stories about Thanksgiving, the Mayflower and all that kind of good stuff for hours. And we, we love that. You have your traditions at Thanksgiving. I remember as a little boy, I loved Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, we'd go over to my mom's uh, parents, Grandma and Grandpa Smith, and it was the same menu every year, but we loved it. Loved it. My Grandma Smith would make these kicking meatballs and mashed potatoes and gravy, and there were green beans from their garden, and there was corn from their garden, and she'd make biscuits, and there was honey from my grandfather's bees. And then then when we started going to church, which was a little bit later in life, when we started going to church, it centered around the Christmas Eve service. But, But you have tradition. Jesus is not saying tradition's wrong, but he is saying if your tradition supersedes Scripture, or if tradition supersedes your connection with your Heavenly Father, you, you've missed it. So here's a couple of thoughts about tradition. Tradition is you obey tradition to please people, but truth is you obey the Scriptures to please God. Tradition is, deals with rituals, but truth, it deals with reality. Tradition brings empty words to the lips, but truth penetrates the heart, and truth changes lives. And then tradition, it robs a person of the power of God's Word, but truth Truth truly empowers people. All right, now in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus changes audiences. Seventy miles, they come, they ask Jesus this question that just seems to be a softball question. Why do your disciples not wash their hands before they eat? Why do they break the tradition of the elders? And so Jesus doesn't answer them directly, but now there's a crowd Every time Jesus is involved, there's a crowd. Crowds just develop when Jesus is around. And so now the crowd's coming, and here's the question. Here's here's how Jesus responds to the crowd. He pulls the crowd in. Look what he says in Matthew 15, 10. Jesus called the crowd to him, and he said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth? Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're all around. Now he's got a crowd of maybe a couple hundred people. They're all listening. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, guys, we read this, and we understand biology and health 101. They don't get this. Their tradition had been for years and years and years and years and years. As long as we wash our hands before we eat, we fulfilled the tradition of the elders. We all get this. This is like, duh, to all of us. But in just a minute, Peter's going to say, can you explain this to me? What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of the mouth, that is what defiles them. Verse 12, then the disciples came to him and they asked, do you, do you know that the Pharisees were offended? <laughs> I love this verse. Do you know that the Pharisees, they were offended when they heard this? The disciples don't get it yet. He's the son of man. 
He's the one who was there on day one, created the sun, the moon, the stars. He's the one who can walk on. They don't get it. They don't get who. And they're just worried. They're people pleasers, aren't they? The Pharisees were offended when, when they heard this. Look at verse 13. He replied, again, they ask a question. He doesn't directly answer them. Fascinating, fascinating. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. Now just get this next verse. You'll quit worrying about a lot of things if you embrace this next verse. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. That's why we don't have to worry about some of these different religions. That's why we don't have to worry even about Scientology. The blind's leading the blind. It may be five years. It may be 15 years. It may be 25 years. I don't know. But eventually, all these different groups and organizations, they collapse from the inside. Why? Because the blind leads the blind. This is what Jesus says. They fall into a pit. Look at the next verse. And Peter said, well, um, um, can, can you explain this parable to us? Now, you've got to love Peter. Because Peter says what everybody else is thinking. But Peter doesn't have any filters, Right? So Peter's going to say what everybody else wants to ask, but he's the one that, and then look at what Jesus says. Next thing Jesus says, are you still so dull? I love this. This is Jesus. Are you so stupid? Do you not get the point of this? And so now he's going to explain it. Look at what he says. Don't you see, and they didn't, that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body. And again, all of us in this room get this. The next one says this, but the things that come out of a person's mouth, they come from the heart. Remember when you said, you know, I just said something very inappropriate and you said, I don't know where that came from. (laughs) Yes, no, yes, okay, yeah. You do know where it came from. It came from your heart. Remember when, when you just did something and you said, I don't know how I did that. You, you do know how you did it. Because it was a thought. And that thought somehow got lodged in your heart. So every one of our thoughts somehow, somewhere, some way, along the way, they can become actions. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean you have to think it. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean you have to think it. Think about that for the rest of the day if you want to, okay? (laughs) Look at the next verse. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Before someone ever murdered anybody, I'm not an expert on murder, and I've never murdered anybody. Aren't you glad to know that? But what we're told and what we understand, before there's a murder, somebody's had bitterness, rage, anger. Somebody's had something going on in here, right? Nobody just falls into adultery. Gosh, I don't know how this happened. I mean, all of a sudden, we're just there, and golly bum, before we know it, it's just, I don't know how it happened. Nobody falls into sexual immorality. Nobody's a theft. Nobody's a, I got all these diamonds. I just walked out with all these diamonds in my hand. I, I don't know how they got in my pocket. They just got in my pocket, right? It was a thought. Every one of these things come from the what? The heart. Every single one of these come from the heart. False testimony, slander. Look at the next verse. These are what defile a person. But eating, with you guys have traveled 70 miles, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. 
So everybody in your life is going to fit into one of two categories. Every single person is going to be what, look at the next slide if you would, going to be Psalms. Oh, there's my well. I'm going to show you about the well. I want to talk about the well. But everybody's going to fit into one of two categories in just a minute. So, so you're either going to say, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Or you're going to say, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Everybody's this way. You've got people in your life. You've got people you go to school with. You've got people you work with who are fools. Now, what makes them fools? They live as if there's no God. And the fool says in his heart, there is no God. I'm going to do things my way. Now, the wise man, the wise person says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Deb, go back to that same picture of the well, if you would, for just a second. Now, we all get this. In fact, 47% of Americans today still have as their primary supply of water is a well. I grew up in Indiana. We had wells in Indiana. We had wells in Tennessee. A um, lot of people, 47%, still drink most of their water from wells, from, from these different wells. Now, here, here's a question. What happens if when you dip your bucket into that incredible well and you dip it down in there, what happens if that well is filled with pesticides and paint and motor oil and arsenic and gasoline and too much lead, too much acid, not enough pH, magnesium, too much, you know, sulfur. How many of you smell those, those eggs that come out of those wells, you know? Gosh, that's bad. It won't kill you, but you'll, you'll, you'll want to die when you smell that. So, so what happens? What happens when you pull that up and your water is contaminated? What happens when you actually begin to drink the water that comes from those wells? We, we all know what happens. There's cancer. There's liver problems. There's pancreas problems. We know that it affects our major organs. We know that it affects our, our hair, our fingernails. It affects the color of our eyes. It even affects our skin. Everything gets impacted from this. And, and so, again, what, what's going into your well? What are you putting in your well? Now, you may not be able to control this kind of a well if you're living somewhere in Tennessee. That's the water around you. But when it comes to your heart, every one of us in this room can choose and we can control what goes in our bucket. Why is this important? Well, if you're a note taker in your bulletin, let me give you six really quick reasons why this is important. Number one, here's what you do with your heart. You believe in your heart. Jesus, Romans, Romans chapter 10 says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe. Really, where is it that somebody becomes a Christian? Where is it that somebody becomes a believer? It's in the heart. And it's with your mouth that you profess and the faith and you are saved. So you believe. Belief begins in your heart. Number two, why is this important? Because you love from the heart. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You've done some pretty irrational things out of love. And that's a good thing. You have loved some unlovable people because you loved them from the heart. You've said and done some things for your children that just are, are unfathomable. But you would, you would take a bullet. You would, you would charge hell with a water pistol. You would do anything for your kids. You love them. You love some of those people. And you love where? In your mind? 
You love in your heart. It comes from your heart. Number three, you sing from your heart. Some of you sing in the shower. Some of you shouldn't sing out loud. Some of you sing all around. But, but, but your singing comes from your heart, doesn't it? Let the message of Christ dwell among you as richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs. Songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Some of you just go through the house and you're just so happy. Where does that song burst from? It's from your heart. So on, on Saturdays, yesterday, Denny and I were together, and um, on Saturdays, I spend about three and a half or four hours working on this, trying to memorize this. And so I told Danita, and also I, I timed it, because if you don't time this and you mess this up royally, it's like first service between first and second service, and you mess up all those people trying to get in, and you mess up the children's area, you've got a real problem on your hand, Okay. You have a revolt taking place at church. So you need to be kind of between 28 and 32 minutes. So I, so I time it on, on Saturdays. So I told Anita I was going to John Chestnut Park over by us, and I was getting ready to go time it. And so she said, okay. And so then she goes in the kitchen, and I realized I wasn't quite ready to time it yet. I needed to practice on a little section of this and, and memorize it and get it down better. And so I'm in the back bedroom. She doesn't know I'm at home. She's in the kitchen, and she cranks the music up in the kitchen, and she is singing at the top of her lungs. I am dying laughing. I should have recorded it, but I, I'm dying laughing, and I, I wait about 15 minutes. I, am cr- I didn't learn any of the sermon. I am cracking up. I'm cracking up just listening to her sing and sing. And sing. So I sneak around the corner and do the boo thing, you know, and, and she's back, you dummy, and why'd you do this, you know? And our house is not nearly as spiritual as you all think it is, trust me. It, it's really... And, and, but I loved hearing her sing from her heart. Our youngest, Emily, who's a pretty quiet child most of the time, except when she's singing and there's a song inside of her heart. And so you can imagine there's lots of music in my home with Emily and with Ethan and with Danita. So you sing from the heart. Look at the next one. You obey from the heart. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from the heart. That's what we're trying to get you to do as a church. I learned this from, from Paul and from Jesus. Paul, Peter, Jesus, Alt, Timothy, they're not trying to change your behavior on the outside. They're not railing against your behavior. They're talking about your heart. Because if you get your heart right, everything else, your actions then become right. I think this is cool. And then the next one is, is you give. You give from the heart. Each of you should give what he's decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the last one is, is about asking God then for a clean heart. I like David in Psalm 51 verse 10. And David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. It's within the heart that all these things take place. So again, what's in your bucket? Instead of what's in your wallet, okay? What's in your, that'd be a good commercial. What's in your bucket? Um, to draw this up in your life, if you have contaminated your well, if what is in your well is all that stuff in verse 19, malice, rage, slander, theft, sexual immorality, if all that stuff is in your bucket, you're going to pull up 
that stuff, and it's going to come out of your heart and come out of your mouth, and it's going to be your, your actions. But that doesn't have to be you and me. In fact, as Christians, we, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So here's my encouragement to you today. Let's fill up our buckets. Let's, let's put inside our buckets Scripture. What, what's your plan for Scripture? What, what's your plan to learn God's Word? Let's put into our bucket prayer. How, how, how do you, where's your time and your place? Where's your time and your place for prayer? Let, let's put into our bucket forgiveness between the services. A kind of an elderly lady said to me, thank you. She said, I'm struggling. And she began to explain to me how she was having trouble forgiving somebody. She said, but I know I got the wrong gunk and junk in my bucket. What, 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 if, you put, what if you put forgiveness in your bucket? What, what if you put truth, grace, mercy, love? What if all these things, you just fill them in your bucket day after day after day? Well, here's the results. Just like a contaminated water system is going to mess everything up in your body, a pure bucket filled with God, Scripture, truth, the Holy Spirit, church, the right kind of friends and people, it's going to result in what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are going to be the results of a clean and of a pure heart. And you know what the cool thing about this is? Everybody gets to choose this. You and I get to choose we get to choose. Now, now, should we spend time watching the World Series and wa- pray, watching Scripture? You should do both, okay? You should. I love the World Series. What a game last night. But the point is, you can't just fill your bucket with all the stuff of the world. You fill your bucket with, with God, and it changes your life forever. So I want to put these, that's just a cool well picture. I love that because you and I get to go down And in that case, you can't always control what's in there, but in your case, you can. In your case, you can control what you put in the bucket. So I want to lead us into communion time now, and I'll put those six back on the screen. They're going to pass out communion. Go ahead and pass it out. Hold the loaf and the cup. And during this time of communion, I want you to look at those six and pick one. Just pick one. Which one of those do you need to embrace a little deeper in your life? Now, during communion, there's something supernatural that happens in this moment. It's a mystical moment. I believe every time we meet together and we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we celebrate Jesus' body and Jesus' blood, something supernatural takes place. And you and I should expect God to do something in our hearts. And so here we are taking the Lord's Supper together. And I want to ask you to pick one of those six. Where do you need to work on? Lord, my heart's not been very clean. I need during the Lord's Supper, I need you to cleanse my heart and give me a, a passion for a clean heart. Lord, I give. I give money and I give my time, but I don't do it, you know, I do it reluctantly. But I want to do it cheerfully and joyfully. I, I, I obey. I do obey. But God, I want to obey from my heart. I don't want to obey because I feel guilty. I don't want to obey because there's pressure. I want to obey because there's love.
It's been a long time, God, since I've been singing. It's been a long time since I've been singing from my heart. Give me that song and restore that. Oh, God, let me, let me have a heart for you that just loves you. Or maybe you're the first one. Maybe, maybe you're not a Christian. And today is your day. I'm going to cross over. I'm going to believe today. Today is my day. I'm going to believe and confess that Jesus is Lord. So take a couple minutes and pray about one of those areas. Expect God to do something. Jesus, you love us so deeply, so richly. And we're honoring you right now, remembering what you did for us, your body and your blood. We want to have clean hearts. We want to have hearts that are pure and true. We want to love and serve and give and obey and We want to do all the things that you want us to do, not because we have to, but because we get to. Jesus, work right now in our hearts. This is indeed a miracle. It's a supernatural event to transform my heart and all my friends' hearts in this room. The power of the resurrected Savior. Thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's partake of the body and the blood of Jesus. On our way out in just a minute, we'll actually carry these out and just throw them in a little trash basket on our way out. But before we do that, uh, I want to read about five passages of Scripture. And I want to give you a chance today to give your life to Christ. So I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front now. I'm going to ask us all to stand up. And I'm going to read five different passages of Scripture at this moment that really speak to you and your future and about sin and how he has removed sin from you when you give your heart to him. Here's what Isaiah says. Isaiah says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions, for my own sake, and remembers your sins no more. That's a powerful passage. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Ephesians says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Colossians says, when you were dead in your sins, 
and the uncircumcision of the flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and, and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And Hebrews 10, 14 says, For by one sacrifice, now listen to this, by one sacrifice, one, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And you have the chance today to allow God to change and transform your heart. And if you want to, you can come forward today, believe in your heart, give your life to Christ, and all these wonderful friends will pray with you and pray for you and help you to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Okay? I want to pray for us, dismiss us, and um, thank you for being here today. Let God work on your heart all week long. All week long. Jesus, thank you for inviting us to your table. And thank you for inviting us into your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.